Three, two, one. Let's go. No, okay. That was coming. No. You haven't seen a PBE podcast yet? Have you not seen a PBE podcast? Yeah, couple. I didn't. Ah, yeah, so I, you, have. So yeah, you yeah, have. I have. You have. Yeah, you have. You knew it was coming. Yeah, unfortunately, I knew it. Yeah. Blashido, I pre- I appreciate that. <laughs> Bianca, thank you. I'm the host of the PBE podcast. Troy Tittlemeyer, we're sitting at Urtech 2022. We're in the Geolog booth. Geolog International. This is a company that has units across the globe right now. They're like, you can imagine like satellites going around the planet. They're actually hooked onto the planet and sending signals. They're, they're getting data back constantly all around the planet as we're swirling and going through space. And it's coming back with valuable data from the surface. That's what's interesting to me is that it's not all downhole. It's not like, you know, you roll down 10,000 feet, drag a tool up and it's giving you gamma ray or resistivity, something like that with wireline. This is all data that's being collected at the surface, analyzed in real time in some cases, or in other cases, you box it up, you ship it to the lab in Milan, you guys take it out, you make sure you QC all this stuff, you get it on depth, you do the data acquisition, which is rocky valve paralysis, XRF, XRD. Mm -hmm. You guys are looking at the geochemistry of the rock the elemental makeup of the rock. And we were talking earlier with uh, with Andres and some others on the show that it's such a vital time right now for us to not look at the rock and go, oh, this is a sandstone, fluvial sediment sandstone or a dolomite that's been dolomitized from some later event or uh, it's a shoal, it's a shelf. It's, you know, that's all interpretation. What we should be doing right now is focusing on what it is, what is this rock? What's the elemental makeup of this rock? What's the rocky valve paralysis? What is the rock? Interpretation comes later. What is it? And that's where you guys really focus, right? That's that's what your paper is all about. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Talk to me a little bit about the paper, Bianca. Yeah. So, um, paper actually started as uh, a case history. Uh, where we wanted to demonstrate our workflow and strategy where, uh, as, as, you, as you saw, we, we have plenty of data and uh, you want to integrate them because uh, you want to focus on very low cost samples such as mud gas, drill cuttings, produced oil samples and, uh, and actually you want to analyze them with as many tools as possible to gain information and try to interpret them separately and then integrate the results. Wow. Something that we generally say is, okay, Madgas is telling me some kind of fluid typing, some kind of trend. Is the cutting telling me the same? Isotopes telling me Isotopes. the same. Isotopes. Right. And that's also a source of information. If you have two samples saying you the same thing, that's a very strong confirmation right. of your finding. But on the other side, if you have uh, cuttings not matching with the, with the mud gas, for example, that's also a source of information. You need to understand why. Yeah. And there is generally an explanation uh, on why they're not matching. Maybe the mud gas is not associated with the oil, for example. And mm. so uh, you need to choose which one to trust more and which one uh, actually to use on a different way. So this is something that we think that you uh, that is very... Um, uh, it is the strength of Geolog because we have uh, plenty of systems at Wellsite and for the technologies that are not yet ready for Wellsite, that's when we pack the stuff and, and send it to Milan because, uh-huh. uh, you know, technology advances and uh, 
we are, as in the DNA of Geolog, we want to have instruments at well sites. All right, so uh, it's important to know what it is, but it's also very important to know what it's not, right? Like yes, it's exactly. just as valuable information. Yeah. So that's spot on, at least my understanding of it. Tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah, uh, I'm a chemist. I'm an organic chemist as, uh, as, uh, yeah, as a master's degree. And then I started material sciences as PhD. Material science. What's the difference yeah. between organic chemistry and material science? Yeah, there are, let's say that um, for organic chemists, you also study everything related to pharmaceutical, polymers. You have a very broad knowledge uh, of all, all the organic chemist, okay. chemistry background. Um, instead, with, the, um, with material sciences, you focus on the chemistry of the materials and mm. uh, uh, both from the analytical point of view and uh, properties. So there is a little bit of more physics in it uh, than chemistry only. It is huh. uh, actually a, a mix of uh, um, chemistry and physics as a master's degree. And I did the PhD. I was actually working in, a, in an organic uh, chemistry lab. So that was still in line with my studies uh, okay. from the master's thesis. So when did you start working with Geolog relative to your educational career? Just after I, dis I defend my PhD. Whoa. Two months later, Is I joined Geolog. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, How yeah. did you find Geolog? Um, yeah, uh, you know, I, I sent many, many, many resumes, yeah. you know, <laughs> but there, there, there were um, a couple of, uh, uh, let's say, former colleagues from the laboratory that were working from, for Geolog. And the funny thing was that Geolog had an open position for a, a, a different um, professional, that, uh, someone that got a, P, uh, let's say, not a PhD, but at least a knowledge in statistics, ah. uh, which I did not exactly because uh, I had a oh. uh, I, I had a degree in chemistry. Right. But uh, I sent the resume anyway, uh, and uh, and they called me for uh, for the interview. Wow. And they decided that yeah, as the team was uh, increasing, yeah, they they kept con kept continuing looking for the uh, for the statistic person, but uh, they got they you. Opened, yeah, yeah, they opened a, chem a position <laughs> as uh, as a chemist. They got the chemist. So, yeah, yeah, they got a chemist. <laughs> Now, Not sure they have been lucky, but <laughs> did you have any like ambition to get into oil and gas and energy and with oh, all well, these degrees? Yeah, actually, uh, I was um, as organic chemist. I was working uh, in a laboratory dealing with the photovoltaics. So I was still in the world of the energy, and I was my photovoltaics. Is that what you said? Photovoltaics. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The the renewable uh, solar energy. Right. The yeah. idea that you have photons and radiation from the sun that hit yes, a solar exactly. panel, and that's some form that's, of energy that can be recycled. Exactly, and that, that's what the, the material I was studying. It was the material capable of uh, um, absorbing the energy of the photons and transforming it wow. into electricity. Uh, yeah, so still in the energy world. So light is, is a particle Right? Uh, and is a it, wave. <laughs> it's a particle and wave. Yes. So fo a photon is a is a package of of light rays. Is that what a photon is? The photon is a package of energy that carries uh yeah. The light. Yeah, you, yes. You, so energy is is uh energy is actually particle physics, but there's also some 
non-particle behavior behavior yeah, that, that, that that's packages the wave. this yeah, thing that's the, that's the wave uh part of the what? of the dualism yeah. yeah isn't that amazing and you yeah. figured out how what kind of material natural material on the earth will take that photon that package yeah. of energy with particles in it it takes it absorbs and, it stores that yeah. energy and then somehow it converts it to electricity, some yes. kind of processing. Yeah, it's, it is also called artificial photosynthesis because that's actually what photosynthesis in plant does. So what? The, the photosynthesis in, uh -huh. the, in the green plants, you have chlorophylls. Yeah. That's the molecule that absorb the photons and transform it into, uh, into energy wow. for the plants. Now we have and, chlorophyll in our skin, don't um, we? We have chlorophyll. No. Chlorophyll is attached to the iron that's uh, that's uh, in... That's hemoglobin. Oh, okay. Chlorophyll is uh, the green color of plants. Okay, it's the magnesium. It's an Mg. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Mg surrounded by oxygen, yeah, carbons, yeah. hydrogens, all that exactly. stuff. And we are iron wrapped around with carbon, <laughs> oxygen, hydrogen, right? That's the main difference. We're iron centered and plants plant life is magnesium yeah, that's, centered that's different also the structure that is around but uh, yeah the let's say that the overall complex mm -hmm. if you if you see it it's a metal surrounded by yeah. um complex organic structure man wow <laughs> your brain is blowing me away right now uh okay same question for you sir yeah introduce yourself and let's talk about this technical paper that you guys are both presenting on uh, well, I'm Placido. Uh, uh, I work in the same. I work with Bianca. Actually, we are in the same big room all together. Uh, I actually have a very similar experience, a very similar background. Uh, I'm, I'm also a chemist. Uh -huh. I got my master in uh, organic chemistry myself. Yeah. Uh, but then I decided to move to analytical chemistry. So I started my PhD in analytical chemistry, okay. uh, where I actually worked on it totally different matter respect to oil and gas. I used to work in the field of drug discovery uh, and natural compounds. Uh, but then I, after my PhD, I started a postdoc. But while I was in my postdoc, I started working. I, I found this application, this, this position from geologue and I decided to apply. And two days after I got my, I got this call from the HR nice. the company. Yeah. And it was a lot of first sight at the end. Were you yeah. already working there before you got hired? Yeah. Oh, so you, did you get a screen any of this information? Did you know about Plus? No, unfortunately, no. <laughs> Cause if Just you kidding. did, he wouldn't be sitting here. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. All right. Are you done with your PhD? Uh, yeah, yeah. You're done. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. I mean, I've been working the last four years in Geolog. After my... You've been here for four years. How long have you been with Geolog then? Six years. Six years. And all in Milan? You guys have been in Milan this whole time? Yeah. Yeah, mostly, yeah. Some... And so Milan is kind of like... So, so Geolog Americas is like the car dealership for Toyota. You guys are like working the actual plant, like building the cars yeah, and the equipment. Yeah, we're in the headquarter. Ge we is that, is it, is it, yeah. or do I, my way off here? Well, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to be disrespectful in any way. I'm just trying to understand. Like, yeah. I know Milan is R&D. It's focused on. And production. And production. We also have production in Milan where we build our uh, units with all the machines inside, with all the instruments wow. uh, ready for, mm -hmm. for any type of job in all the world. And then we have all these bases all around the world. Each base manages the activities in that particular area. And in the US, of course, we have this huge base with also labs in the US to carry out many of the activities that to organize, to carry out, to 
manage all the activities wow. that we do in this country. Uh, part of the work that is done in the lab is done in Houston. Other part of the work is done in Milan. So okay. we strictly cooperate with each other, the Houston team and the Milan team. That's why we are here because I mean, I got to sit down to a podcast with the CEO of Geolog. Uh, Richard. Yeah. yeah. Know him. <laughs> <laughs> you get to work with Richard? You guys know him? You get to yeah. talk to him? Yeah, sure. Yeah, normally. <laughs> yeah, <wait>. sure. <laughs> we what have you? to. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he pays you yeah, to hang exactly. out with him. <laughs> yeah, uh, and do things he, for him. He holds us at the end. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, his his podcast was really interesting to listen to his story, right? And, and his, mm-hmm. uh, his vision for the company and his vision for himself and, and for the longevity of this company, where it came from and where it's going. Uh, I think it's really, really important to have vision. Uh, and then you guys get to see and you, you feel that vision, you feel his entrepreneurism, his management, and obviously you guys are the technicians. And for any company to be successful, you have to have dedicated technicians, dedicated management, and, and a dedicated entrepreneur with vision. What can you say about Richard after working for six years, four years? Like, what's unique about him? What do you What do you like working about? What, what do you like about Geolog the most? Um. Yeah. Just the two first things that come to my mind. The first one is that uh, that's quite unique that I'm interacting with Placido, who's a chemist as I am. Uh-huh. But most of the time, I'm interacting with many, many people. From production to oh, wow. a lot of uh, disciplines. Uh, um, clients, uh, geologists, engineers, and that actually uh, is an advantage because uh, that's not boring. Your um, yeah your, questions are always yeah different. you're learning every day, and uh, you also see different way of seeing and interpreting uh, also the way you work. Because uh, as a chemist, we are quite dedicated to the laboratory yeah and uh, the first thing uh, the first time you meet uh, an engineer or a geologist you you really understand that uh, you have a, um, a status of mind that's different from there the, the way you approach uh, a project the right. way you approach a problem uh, it's different so you um, you're actually uh, getting better day by day and I think geolog from this point of view as we have Plenty of people, everybody with his different background, that's an advantage. That is yeah. And the second thing that I really like in Geolog is that uh, it is, uh, as, especially for the R&D, everybody counts in terms of uh, uh, you can, if you have your idea, you can propose it because it is not a, a huge company where you need to pass through many, many approval and many, many managers approval uh-huh. before getting to the person that will uh, decide yeah. if it is valuable or not. We have uh, uh, Antonio Caleri, uh, who is actually sitting just above our head because yeah. he's in uh, in the office just above uh, in, at the second floor. Uh-huh. So uh, you can directly th- you can directly speak to him or uh, uh, we have, of course, to Richard as well. And it is not so uh, well. Uh, it doesn't have a rigid structure so yeah. that you yeah, cannot exactly. propose anything. And, or it gets uh, lost in all the shuffling. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, if huh. you do something good, uh, everybody will know if you do something wrong also. But, Everyone will uh, yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If there's one thing I can add is that we are a very structured company, of course, but even if it's structured, the things, I mean, the, the boundaries are not so rigid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, for example, myself, I'm working there in D, okay? 
I have a lot of things to, I mean, part of my work, most of my work is uh, connected to lab activities, but I also talk a lot with the commercial department. I also talk a lot with all the other uh, R&D, uh, no, I, I'm involved in many of other R&D projects because many of the things that we do, many of the, our activities are strictly correlated one to each other. So it, it's never boring, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah. I get to do some commercial stuff. I get to talk huh. to people. I get to talk to partners. I get to talk to clients. Uh, so it's not just, I, no, I spend all my time in the lab, closed yeah. in the lab, you know, no, looking yeah. at the, at the monitor, you know, <laughs> uh, preparing samples, and not just like that. Yeah. I prepare the presentations, I uh, participate to conferences, you know, and it's it's actually funny, you know, because uh, it's never boring. You you have you, wow. you get to do different things every day. It's very stimulating for us to work in oh, this that, environment. That's, yeah, it's it huge. is. It is absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, I like how you said that. Stimulating. It is. Stimulating. Definitely is. That's what we do to these reservoirs. And we're here at <laughs> the Unconventional Resource Technology <laughs> Show, right? We're trying to understand, you know, what is it that makes the unconventional reservoir in some areas incredibly economic? And then in some areas, we kind of lose our shirts. You know what I mean? Like, why didn't it work? And we've been so focused, in my opinion, on the physical aspect of things that I really believe that the chemical evolution in our industry, There's the understanding of chemistry is going to be incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. And you guys are on the front lines of that. So I want to ask, you know, like you guys are looking at all this data, you're looking at all this information coming in. It's conventional, it's offshore, it's onshore. You're looking at everything or do you have a specific you you're unconventional, you do conventional. Like, how does that go because they're well, you mean how do we split the, the workload the, yes the workload um no we we are actually uh taking the, the, care there are no boundaries as yeah. i said before <laughs> you know so it actually depends on what we have to do uh it depends on the uh projects it's some projects uh you know we're just the two of us but the the, the R&D group is made of uh, you know, 10, 12 people. Actually, there are other specialists that are not actually in the R&D department, but are, you know, more related to the operation. So it's a, it's a team effort. Mm -hmm. And depending on which expertise is required at that moment, uh, you know, any of us can be put on the project, uh, you know, do what has to do, then swap with someone else, cooperate, you know, leaving, yeah. uh, stepping in. It's, uh, it's, a it's very dynamic. Yeah. It's a team yeah. effort. I team would effort. Say. So yeah. all the time that we have um, a question from uh, a client or uh, uh -huh. any doubt, the idea is to figure out which could be the solutions and then who are the people that are mostly involved in the services. So, for example, uh, you might want to focus on the inorganic characterization. So there are people taking care of this interpretation. And then once everybody performed his, uh, hmm. um, uh, let's say, quality check, analysis and first level of interpretation, we meet together and try to uh, and try to correlate the things, and nice. share ideas to understand uh, which What's... are the findings, which are yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. It, it is not just one person performing the okay. whole study. Exactly. Okay. And no, when, cool. when we talk yeah. to the client and we show the results, the interpretation and the report, it's everyone has to say something. You know, everyone right. gets to, to say something. Engaging, collaboration, yeah. like exactly. collaboration. And yeah, so I, I get that. I, I, I get how you guys are doing that. So for the unconventional plays, for, for the fact that 
you know, about 20 years ago or so, we said, hey, the source rock is now the reservoir, right? The mm -hmm. conventional and unconventional model became these two things. Mm -hmm. What is it today that you guys are seeing from operators or doing as a company to focus and to try to unlock the unconventional reservoir? Is it is it rocky valve paralysis? Is it more just geochemistry across the board? Uh, what, what are you seeing as, as kind of developing technology or developing discoveries for unconventional resources? Well, I would say, as you anticipated, one of the things that is making this unconventional more profitable, I guess, is you know, starting to use more and more and more geochemistry, mm -hmm. you know, to get information on, ma on many things. Um, you know, uh, I would say, for example, um, as you said, at the beginning, it was mostly uh, based on physical evidences. But now I guess that everyone is getting more and more aware that geochemistry plays a very important role. As it is not just about rockoval pyrolysis that you mentioned. It's about a, a number of techniques, analytical techniques that can be used, starting from the typical um, mud logging, you know, activities uh, that yeah. are continuously run and going to the typical laboratory. Yeah, for example, uh, historically, uh, mud logging and, you know, labs have been seen as two separate entities. You know, uh -huh. just mud logging was just, you know, something related to uh, well safety, just, you know, gas analysis, that's it. And when you have to do the cool stuff, you take the samples <laughs> and you send it to the lab. Yeah, you know? yeah. But, but, you know, with the time, this... Uh, two words is being brought together. Yeah. Thanks to the advancements in the technology, in the analytical technologies that have allowed to get very nice results, very accurate data yeah. directed to well site yeah. while drilling, you know, or in quasi real time manner. You know, yeah. and this is possible thanks to the advancements in the to the advances in this field, thanks to some companies, you yeah. know, that try the to biggest implement. differences I saw was you know, I was looking at lateral logs, lateral mud logs. And then I got to use Geolog and, and do a lot of work with you guys on a lateral log. And you could look at old logs that a mud logger is, is analyzing and it's, it literally just says shale. And it, it's like, that's it. And then maybe a little bit of sand comes in. You're looking at 7,500 feet and it's just a description that says shale. Yeah, but it's not just shale. Oh my it's gosh. I get your, yeah, I got your guys' log back working with Isaac Esau and everybody else. Looking at 7,500 feet and the geochemistry is screaming. It's walking and talking. The vanadium, the TOC, yeah, everything it, is telling me that there, there is a world. Behind yeah. those shells, there's a world, a actually. Whole world a whole complexity. world of complexity. Yeah, of complexity. What's absolutely. going on with that, right? We're looking, for, we're looking for the hydrogenation of kerogen, right? That's what makes oil. When you take something from like an anthraxolite kerogen that's hydrogen poor, H.5C or whatever, and you're trying to make H2C. You're trying to make liquid oil from the kerogen. Where did that happen the most? That's where I want to drill, right? Yeah. So that's where I see rock eval becoming so valuable is, is trying to track where did the hydrogenation of kerogen actually happen the most along this rock and then correlate that to some of the XRF, XRD. How are the clays reacting? What are the mm -hmm. You guys get to see that data all the time. Yeah. from around the world. Like you guys have the coolest job, I think. 
If I was going to be in a service company, I would want to give you a chemistry. We don't complain. You know? <laughs> <laughs> We're actually happy about our job. I know it's the coolest, but it's nice, actually. Give me so. a give me a ton of, kind of 20,000 foot view of your your technical paper tomorrow. What are you guys, What da- where's the data from? What are you talking about? What is, what's the takeaway? What's the, what's the high level view of this yeah. paper? Yeah, so um, we actually deployed this strategy that we have discussed of having plenty of data to play with uh, um, on the on the bone spring formation. Oh, uh, nice. Sp- Delaware Basin. Exactly. Yeah. So specifically on the second bone spring sandstone and the Archimedes sandstone, which are actually um, not pure unconventional wells because they are tight sandstone. That means that you the way you produce them is uh, through fracking. So you want to have a look at rock properties in terms of uh, inorganic components uh, in order to predict uh, how it will be easy to frack or, ah. or if there are zones that you want to exclude from completion. Uh, for example, in the laterals, you want to have a look at how heterogeneous it is from the matrix point of view. But at the same time, we also had a, a deep focus on the um, on the organic geochemistry. So try to mm. um, to describe the fluid that is uh, in the reservoir as it is tight sandstone. The fluid didn't generate within the sandstone, but it, it has been generated generally from adjacent shale layers yeah. and migra- short, uh, let's short, say, migration. Short, short migration. Uh-huh. So from this uh, point of view, um, we didn't run uh, rock, uh, Rocky Val and Rollis and Aziz because yeah. you don't always have... run Rocky Val. <laughs> Every operator as a default, you yeah, know? ever Rocky Val, XRF, XRD, yeah, but it, all of it. That was not the case. Dang yeah, it. Okay, because, that's okay. Because the, from the um, reservoir point of view, um, they behave more as a conventional reservoir because you don't have yes. any kerogene generating dual when you frack it. So uh, you might want to pl- to use your rocky valve in uh, in the shale layer yeah. when you are in the vertical. When you you see that TOC is increasing, that's where you want to use your uh, rocky valve okay. to Absolutely. see if the results you get are in line with the fluid that you find in the reservoir, so that the fluid has been generated from this layer. Yeah, I, I would argue that rocky valve everything. <laughs> yeah. I want to know what's going on with the TOC inside the sands. I want to know, obviously, what's going on in the shales. I want to know where all of the rock eval and how S1 and S2 are particularly changing. The ratio between S1 and S2, I want to chase that with the highest resolution possible. That's my take on that. Uh, but there was no yeah. S2 in our reservoir. There was you know, no because S2. Because it was a conventional, you know? Okay, so S2. It was just S- S1. S- you had an S1, which is awesome. But as you run rock eval on that potential pot- uh, that particular rock s2 is not showing up why because there's no kerogen it's a there's conventional no reservoir it was a sandstone reservoir but you had toc tight. well i mean it was very low i mean it wasn't as a normal shale reservoir you know yeah it doesn't have 10 percent toc no. or you know some high percent of toc but there was something there there was something there there was some i mean uh the toc wasn't was from other wells in the area, yeah. uh, but it wasn't that high. I mean, it, it wasn't. Yeah, it, it was we, low. We, we could see some increase. But S one was high. Well, we, we didn't yeah, measure S one. Oh. Yeah, but we have uh, a different a different way of measuring S one actually with a tool that we deployed um, at well site. It is something that uh, it 
it is prophetary of geolog. What? We, yeah, it that's is. Why that's why we need to run. That's why we need to run paralysis because it is. You don't a, need it if you got a proprietary method to tell me where S1 is. That's what I'm looking for. I want high S1 to S2 ratio. That's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. What's this proprietary method? What's this proprietary tool? Can you tell me anything about this publicly? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Probably not. No, but I mean, you guys are selling this, right? You have an operator that's yeah. actually using this technology. Yes. So uh, it is based on thermal desorption gas chromatography. So uh, the way what? it is thermal desorption. So we yeah. vaporize the, um, the S1 from the cuttings. And instead of having an, a number as uh, an overall amount of S1, yeah. we perform a gas chromatography just after. So we separate the peaks uh, just as a laboratory does. Uh, and uh, in this way, apart from having an indication of how intense is the S1 peak and which is the highest zone of the S1, uh -huh. we also have a, um, an early indication of the fluid typing. So you might want... So you, you might can see how the S1 is made is made of you know which are the components that make up for that like the S1. alkanes the aromatics the type of yeah or hydrocarbons the, or the different kinds of alkanes if they are really? lighter or heavier oh, that man. focuses on the on the fraction in between c9 and c27 so uh when you are targeting an oil reservoir that's actually where your fluid is uh mainly represented that's where the main peaks are coming from it's quantitative or qualitative um, well, it is quantitative from the S1 point of view, but then the way we interpret it is qualitative, okay. meaning that we perform peak ratios. Okay. And uh, so what we generally look at is uh, changes and trends uh, rather than the absolute numbers. Right. They might be useful when you compare numbers along a well uh, to try oh, to understand yeah. if the, the trend is meaningful or not. Um, but just by having the absolute number generally doesn't provide um, a huge indication. You want to compare it with uh, yeah. with other samples or other wells. I haven't heard of this. This is uh, this is news to me. I don't know why Geolog kept this from yeah, me. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> I'm a little it upset about G9 that. It's called G9+. G9+, is yeah, what you should advise us more often, you know, if you wanted to know <laughs> <That's> more. <laughs> G9 Plus yeah, comes it with... It actually complements all the things that we get from the mud gas. So we have G5 from C1 to C5, uh -huh. G8 from C6 to C8. Then, unfortunately, the C9 Plus uh, components are too, uh, let's say, not so volatile to have them in the mud gas. And so we focused, mm. we switched on the cuttings rather than the mud gas. And, uh, ah. and of course, you want to combine them with the mud gas code, there should be some correlation. There's got to be. We know that's yeah. true. We know it's true. The rock, the fluids and the gases are 1000% connected genetically. Yeah, sure. So it has to be, there has to be something there. Mm -mm. I did not know that. That is really cool. I'm excited to see your presentation tomorrow. I want to hear more about this S1 indicator that you yeah. guys have that's proprietary to Geolog. If you're yes. looking to make the unconventional reservoirs work in your unconventional play, it sounds like you probably should talk to Geolog, at least in my opinion, because if you can find S1 efficiently and accurately, then I think you can find your way to the best part of the unconventional reservoir. I truly believe that. High S1 <laughs> will make a good well. You need to frack it. You got to also do the geomechanic stuff, which you guys are focusing on too. How does the rock frack? So not only can it generate a lot of hydrocarbon, but can you actually frack it and put a good frack away in this rock? 
repeatedly, like specifically repeatedly. So that's that's really cool. So as far as anything else on the paper tomorrow, anything else you guys want to cover before you do the presentation tomorrow? Anything else? Pepper? No, no, I guess. Uh, I guess you guys ready to have a good time at the happy hours tonight? Yes, yeah, sure. Meet some more people that are that's just why we came here. Psyched <laughs> about <laughs> rocks. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to head over to ESG. They have uh, a really cool booth over there. We're going to head over there for the uh, the night happy hour after this uh, after today. So that's Looking where we'll be. Forward. Yeah. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Thank you, Troy.